Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you. This is actually the first time uh, we have opened up children's ministry, so that is a phenomenal thing. I'm going to actually ask you guys to applause again in just a minute, but all the people doing all the work for children's ministry and all the people that are willing to come volunteer to pull this off in a very awkward time. And we are just very thankful to all of you who are volunteering in any capacity. Uh, We are all the beneficiaries of that, benefiting from that. So again, will you just thank all those people volunteering? So we are in a series in the Gospel of John. So John is the fourth gospel. They'll talk about it. So in the New Testament, which is actually towards the back of your Bible, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today we're going to actually be in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. I encourage you to open your Bibles and turn there. Um, even as I get to some other passages, the more uh, you can even use the table of contents or go, if you know where those passages are, and turn. It just helps you understand and make your way through the Bible and through the Scriptures. So John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, we'll read and then pray. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray. Father, we ask you um, to send your spirit now to draw us to Jesus, and Jesus, that you'd take us to the heart of the Father. God, show us what is real and true this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit. God, you know all the personal situations. You know real world questions and real pains, and you are the one who ultimately weeps with us when we weep and rejoices with us when we rejoice. So God, I pray that you would allow Jesus to become the lens we see everything through and the lane in which we walk. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's a lot of writing and a lot of talking and a lot of commenting on culture right now. And many people are writing and commenting saying right now in the United States, our country is the most divided it's been since the Civil War. Have any of you guys heard that? That's substantial division. Since the Civil War, and just recently I've heard this phrase that was actually new to me. I don't know how new it'll be to you called the fog of war. How many of you guys have ever heard that phrase before? So the, the phrase the fog of war was actually coined by this Prussian, Prussian, not Russian, Prussian military leader to talk about the uncertainty that a general faces in the midst of war. And then it actually began to just be carried on that what happens with soldiers in the midst of war is there's just tremendous amount of certainty. There's situational, like where are we right now? Anybody ever feel like that even right now? Like in the midst of this, like where are we? They're really concerned with where their adversary or their enemies are. What is our enemy's intention? What ultimately is their motive? What is their tactic? And as I'm thinking through this reality of the fog of war and this division of saying we're more divided than we've ever been, we're in the midst of our own fog of war, but I would say it's a fog of words. 
Now, that may sound crazy to you, but we live in this time where more people have a megaphone and an outlet to make their opinions and their assessment of the situation known than ever. I'm around more people that when you talk to them about the substantial things in life, they just kind of look confused. Like, I'm just so confused by, I feel like I'm in the crosshairs of all of this fire, but it's a fire of words rather than bullets. And yet, when the Bible speaks to us about our words, James talks about it as the tongue, and the author of Proverbs in chapter 18 says this phrase where he says, words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit, you choose. I want to say that again, this is actually Eugene Peterson's translation in the message, it's words kill... Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. And war isn't a good thing. Bullets and bombs are enjoyable to nobody, but neither are the swords, arrows, bullets, and bombs of words. And so we live in this time of venomous words, and we're in the midst of this fog of words and this words that some people are saying like feels like it's creating this War, this war ultimately of division. Now, any commander or military general would know when you're in the midst of a fog, whether it's literal or just the fog of war, that you got to know your map, you got to know your lane, what's the way that you're going to view everything through, and what's the approach that you're ultimately going to take. Now, in John chapter 1, John himself is trying to do something. Because the, the war of words or opinions or views of the world and what should and shouldn't happen isn't new to today. This has been true all the time. And we talked about this last week when we were doing the setup for the Gospel of John, is that there were people on all kinds of sides of different issues. Even the religious people, there were these Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they didn't agree with each other at all. Right? The Jews and the Greeks had this huge cultural and therefore ethnic divide, and they didn't like each other ultimately. There were the haves and there were the have-nots. There were the educated and the uneducated, and yet they all had opinions of how to make sense of their world ultimately. And John is coming in seeking to speak about a truth that's the truth of all truths. He's actually starting to get and go, how do we get underneath all of these people's views, assumptions, commitments, and how do we get them to belief? So the last two weeks and almost every week ahead, we will likely at least refer to the intention and the point of the Gospel of John. So when the author writes this uniquely in this Gospel, the Gospel of John, he actually tells us his point in chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, and he says this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So he's saying, I've just told you about a bunch of these, but he did all kinds of other ones in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these ones, what I've written in this book, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that word Christ means the Savior, it's not his last name, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John is penning all of this to help get underneath, really get at belief, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. 
But we just for a short moment have to go, what is belief? Is belief just a recognition? Is belief ultimately coming to church? Is belief marking a box that says you're a Christian? Is belief just that we said a prayer and we walked an aisle at a certain point? This word belief ultimately means trust. Trust, and not just stated trust, but functional. By functional, here's what we mean, is what you really trust. So we mentioned this before. There's um, in the Psalms, in the midst of war, David writes this psalm when he's writing to God and to other people, and he said, some trust in horses. David is a military general even. Some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. He's getting at this idea of who do you believe in? Do I believe in our military? Do I believe in the amount of arms we have? Do I believe ultimately in our economy? Do I ultimately believe in our approach to war or our approach to governance or my view of the world or my current situation, my education that I base this upon, my history, my work ethic? What is it that you trust in? David is saying some trust and we could fill it in modernly. What do we trust in? Functionally, really, is what we believe in. So I just want to ask you this question. If the point of John's gospel is belief in Jesus the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing we would have life in his name, do we believe, trust? If we took that same psalm, some trust in, and we started to fill it in, how would you fill it in? If you got very honest this afternoon and you took out a piece of paper and you started asking yourself the question, what is it ultimately that I trust in? Truly. Not what do I think I should say, but truly what do I trust in? When fear begins to rage in my heart, when questions about the future are there, where do I ground myself? What do I run after and what do I run towards? John's coming into a time where different groupings of people of all kinds are believing, trusting in all kinds of things. And he's trying to drive us to believe truly in Jesus and by believing have life in his name. Now, this isn't just John. There's a group of people at the time going around telling the story of Jesus. And this John who pens the Gospel of John also wrote these letters. We talked a little bit about this last week. So 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And in the beginning of 1 John, you see incredible um, comparison. This is a, very, a passage very much like the one we just read in the Gospel of John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. If you'd go back to the, and we are writing these things so that 
our joy may be complete. Go back to verse one. Here's something I want you to understand about knowing, like deep knowing, deep knowing that would lead to belief. Deep knowing that would lead to belief is, you could say this many ways, it's multisensory. So you know and you are shaped way more by your experience than you would ever imagine. And I'm saying to you right now, that's not a bad thing. But who you surround yourself with shapes what ultimately you end up trusting in, what ultimately you end up believing in. One of the greatest acts of faith that you will ever apply is what you choose to take in to your head, who you decide to surround yourself with, the time you decide to spend in certain places, because that which was from the beginning, John's saying, we've seen it with our eyes. We heard him. Who's he speaking of here? Jesus. We saw him with our eyes. We heard him with, his, with our ears. We touched the word of life with our hands. We touched him. Now we proclaim this to you. So now here's John's dilemma as he writes in the gospel of John chapter one. I have to be very clear. When he says, in the beginning was the word, what's he ultimately doing? Realize they're walking around trying to sell a story of Jesus, drive people to believe in Jesus and disrupt so many of these all kinds of different people. Remember, there's Jews and Greeks. There's sophisticated religious and philosophical people, people who've been educated in philosophy and religion. Then they're speaking also to like illiterate slaves. Now put that all together, you're going, okay, they're going to try to tell the story of Jesus to Jews and Gentiles, to the sophisticated and the unsophisticated, to the educated and uneducated, to people who can read and who can't read, to males and females, barbarians, Scythians, slaves, free, who all have radically different views of the world. And they're trying to say all of your foundations for understanding and making sense of the fog in which we live. And the fog in which we live in John chapter 1 verse 5 is darkness, is the, the word John uses. So he has a huge challenge to try to speak to all of those groups. My background um, in education is in education. So meaning what I was schooled in was education. So I had an undergraduate degree, not had, I still think I have it, hopefully, um, in secondary ed history, and then I have a master's degree in what's called curriculum and instruction. And when you, you're taught to be a teacher, one of the things that's most memorable about being taught to teach is they'll talk to you about the challenge of prior knowledge. So when you're a teacher, you walk into a room and one kid was taught to read when he was like two, and the other kid may have not learned to read even now, depending upon what age you're in. I was just talking to some of our student leaders the other day, and they were saying on Wednesday nights when all the students come in, you have a 12-year-old that thinks, a 12-year-old boy who thinks basically about nothing other than Fortnite, and then you've got like a girl that's on a scholarship to Yale, and you're going, uh, how am I going to talk to this entire group? That's the same challenge John is experiencing right now. And he begins to say, but in the beginning. So where many gospel writers understand the development of history and they take you back and go, let me take you back to David. Some of them do. Let me take you back to Abraham. Some, let me take you back to the original Adam and Eve. John's going, no, I want to be more radical than that. I'm going to take you back to the beginning. 
before human life ever even existed, before light as we know it existed, before the moon existed. Did you know the word radical? When I grew up, the word radical meant cool. Like, that's radical. Nobody says that anymore. But radical actually means from the root. And John's intention is not just to go, I'm going to go to the beginning. He's looking at the scene going, how do I make as many people believe, actually trust as I possibly can? And he goes, I'm going to get radical. I'm going to go to the root, the beginning of all beginnings. And he says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the origin before the origins originated, before the beginning was the beginning, was the Word. When we live in a fog of words that's dividing us from everything, including dividing us from ourselves, we go, we need a better Word. We need a truer Word. We need life-giving words. We need foundational words. We need directional words. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and you begin to go, like, who is this Word? Now, very clearly, John is speaking of Jesus. We spoke last week in this image of a puzzle that if you lose the picture, it's really hard to put together a puzzle. So four foundational pieces to this puzzle in the Gospel of John are Jesus is God, God is love, God calls us to love as he loved us, and that we need powerful outside help, which is the Holy Spirit. All those things will be talked about in the Gospel. But here he's saying, in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, this first foundational piece. Now he begins to speak about Jesus being the word. In verse two, John says this, he was in the beginning with God. Do you see how much he wants to get across the beginning? He's being radical, he's getting to the root. He was in the beginning with God. Now he begins to speak about what we know. Remember, because we're trying to make sense, like what's real? What's truth? Like Pilate later in this book will ask. That word is like, what's real? How do we get our footing in the midst of a fog of words and darkness? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Now, let me ask you this. All things, what does all mean? Come on, participate with me. What does all mean? All, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him, the him is Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So now when we're trying to make sense of this fog that we're living in, this darkness as John talks about it, this sea of words and opinions and the evaluation of motives and trying to situate us like, where are we? What's going to happen? What's going to ultimately go on? He's going, I'm going to take you all the way back and go, let me speak to you very clearly about who made it all. And let me make it really clear to you because there is nothing. All means all, which means there's nothing that's been made. Nothing that has been made without him, without Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, who pens a whole lot of the New Testament, writes very similarly about Jesus in the book of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 
15 through 17, the Apostle Paul, Colossians 1, 15 and 17 says this, he is the image of the invisible God. That is the exact imprint is what that word image means. He is the exact imprint of the invisible God. Well, John just said he is God. So that's Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the beginning, the origins, the firstborn of all of creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, the things you see and the things you don't see. Now, just admit to me for a minute. There's moments where you sit, regardless of where you are on the faith spectrum, and you're like, man, there's things fueling and running the world that I don't see. Whether you just don't know enough, whether you haven't been educated enough, you don't see them, or just the sense of like, I'm not certain anybody sees them. Well, the reality is, Jesus, John has told us, and now Paul's telling us, is the creator of all of this heaven and earth, visible and invisible. And he goes on, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's speaking about Jesus. All things, everything that we can see and can't see, all things were created through Jesus and created for Jesus. So when we go back now to John chapter 1 and we understand John's purpose is to build belief, trust, real trust. And in believing, building real trust, real belief, he has to disrupt false trusts. He has to disrupt things we are actually believing in. He has to do in us what he was doing in David when David said some trust in horses, some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. So I ask you again, what do you functionally, not recognize, not a box you check, what do you trust in? What ultimately are you placing your belief in? What, when things get scary, where are we running? When things get confusing, when we lack our situational point to understand and we're in the midst of a fog of words and war, when we're massively confused, where do you run? Let me help us answer that question just for a minute. When you think about what do you functionally trust in, and we mentioned that so much of what builds our belief, just like it was for John, is what we see, what we hear with our ears, and what we touch with our hands. Let me ask you, what most is going into your ears. If you evaluated just for a minute the contrast between engaging in Jesus, who John's saying you will not understand anything that's real, you will not make your way through the darkness, and in turn, you won't experience life because you don't have light. How much of the time is Jesus before our eyes? Jesus in our ears, how much is Jesus at our fingertips in contrast to what we scroll through our social media feeds, the news stations, how much are you listening to CNN? How much are you listening to ultimately to 
the pundit you like the most, to Fox News that's fueling informing you. Because it's one thing to say, well, Jesus, certainly, he gives meaning to everything. Or I believe that he's the beginning. I've, I've, I've seen John before. I believe that. Do we believe it? Is he ultimately, if we're going to make our way through the fog, our lens through we view everything through, in which we view everything for, and the lane and path in which we walk? Do we trust him? Do we ultimately know him? This is what John's after. And we got to ask, what, what is our time going to? What are our resources going to? The community and the people that we surround ourselves with shape us because they're who we hear, what we see, what we touch. What are they speaking to us about? And if we begin to conclude, man, when David says some trust in these things, I'm coming to recognition, I trust in a lot of these things that aren't fundamentally and foundationally Jesus, then don't be surprised that life feels like death a lot. Like we live in the midst of a fog of confusion and have a, a very aimless way in which we walk because if Jesus is the originator and the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power, if all things are made by him and for him, as Paul says in Colossians, is he not the clue to answering every one of our questions? As other people have said, he is the key that unlocks the door to reality, to what's ultimately true. So as John goes back to the root and he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life. Think about that for a minute. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. If you stop for a minute and you begin to understand the biblical story, this reality of he created all things and in him was life, well, this is exactly what happens in this book, Genesis, which means beginnings, is that he's, from the very beginning, breathing and or speaking. The word is speaking words of life because in him is life. God is life, and therefore life is born out of God. He speaks into the darkness. And what are the first words that God, who John now and Paul said, actually, who spoke the universe into existence? Jesus. What are the first words Jesus speaks into, read Genesis, darkness? Let there be light. And there was light. Out of the life of God, he speaks words and he says, let there be light. And there was light. And then he begins to speak all of this life into existence. The sun and the moon, night and dark, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea. And then he breathes and speaks life into human beings. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. But the first words he speaks is, let there be light. Out of the life of God, let there be light. And there was light. The Apostle Paul, speaking about the coming of Jesus, takes up this theme in 2 Corinthians. 
And here's what Paul says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. He's bringing us back to the beginnings as we know them. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to read that one more time, and I want to really slow you down. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, he's speaking to people who believe at some level, many people who believe but are saying like the man in the Gospels, but help me, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. How often do you ponder the face of Jesus Christ? Not the idea of Jesus Christ, not the recognition of Jesus Christ, not the label of the religion, Christianity. How often do you look at the face of Jesus Christ, the person, his face? Because we're talking about belief and we're talking about trust here, functional reality belief. He's saying, as God said, let light shine in the darkness, we see the reality of God in order to become our lens and our lane, to make sense of all of this, to disrupt all of our false beliefs and our false trusts in the face of Jesus. We sing songs like this, right? You, if you haven't grown up in the church, you may have never sang this song, but there's a very famous song, and it says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground, those of you who sing it, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Folks, right now, does it feel like the earth is shifting underneath your feet? Does it feel like we really are living in the midst of a fog and confusion? We have to begin to question our foundations, our functional trusts, our real beliefs. Do you believe? Do you dwell upon the face of Jesus? And if so, how much in comparison to your social media feed, in comparison to the news we partake in, in comparison to the conversations that we ultimately have, in comparison of people who are ultimately saying, you want to deal with the coming crisis? Get this, get that, stock up with this, do this. I don't know what stewardship is in the midst of it, but I know whatever that is that you're stocking up on, whether it's your knowledge or not, is trash compared to Jesus, is no foundation compared to Christ. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He who hears these words of mine and believes that I'm God, puts them into practice, is like the one who builds their house on a solid foundation. When the rains come and the storms come about, it will stand. But for all who don't hear me and put my words into practice, when the storms and the rains come, their house will be washed away. If Jesus is really the author of it all, the sustainer of it all, the one who spoke the universe into existence, the person of Jesus, folks, we got to look at his face. 
we have to learn as mannerisms. We have to, just like John did, we got to see him with our eyes, hear him with our ears, touch him with our very souls, hands, and bodies. This Jesus isn't dead, right? We believe that. He rose from the dead. He's alive. He's guiding. He's leading. He's promising. He's given us the scriptures, four different accounts to look at his face that he might become our lens and our lane through the fog. I contemplated this with you last week. What would it look like if we were this kind of people? If we were the kind of people that said, we got to see Jesus' face. Not just for some spiritual experience, for life. To make meaning of everything that is, the things we can see and the things we can't see. The history we know and the history we don't know. The future none of us know, the present that none of us can understand. What if we said we're going to look at the face of Jesus? We're going to believe that he's God and when he speaks something, we're going to do our best to just go, I'm just going to try to do it. Because he's God and he tells me to do it. Because he's the creator who set everything up and he knows. Because he's the solid rock of a foundation in which our feet can stand which means we are confronted immediately with not just the darkness out there, but the darkness that's within us. The aspiration for blood that's within us. The aspiration for us to be right all the time. The reality that we're the ones that are going to speak life into the world if you just listen to us. That's not what it says. It says the light has come into the darkness. And yes, the darkness doesn't always comprehend it but the darkness will never extinguish the light. Just like it won't in here. When we turn on the lights, the darkness is gone. How do the lights get turned on? Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? That's what John's after in the Gospel of John. So let's pray. Father, we pray right now that you turn on the light, that you'd show us the face of Christ, that we'd see you with our eyes, that we would hear the real you with our ears, that we would touch you. God, I pray even now that you would speak to us in your body and in your blood right now in the midst of communion, that when we do this and do it to remember you, that you literally would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, bring yourself, Jesus, into our very memories. Take over who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.